Well, hey, Sandals Church, welcome to our online gathering. My name is Jeff, and I'm your online pastor. If you are joining us for the first time, I hope that this is not your last time. There is a motto we'd like to say and live by around here, and, it's, and it has to do with this idea, this vision of being real. We believe God wants us to be real with ourselves, real with God, and real with others. Something that we don't see very much in our world today, but what we all truly want to be real. So if this is your first time, blow up the comments in the chat section or let myself or my team know by going to sandalschurch.com next. Speaking of the online chat, we have volunteers who are, who are chat hosts who serve every weekend because they love connecting with you, our online community. Meet Chris from Hawaii, who is one of our volunteers. Chris, like so many others, volunteers with our online campus team so that we can connect, engage, and minister to our online community. Chris told us, serving as an online host is such a privilege and an honor to be able to make an impact for Jesus. It has kept me connected with my home church while being so far away. Man, we love having Chris on our team. On the 14th of this month, we will be celebrating Chris and all of our online volunteers at our online campus team gathering celebration. The online campus reaches every state as well as many countries. In the last several months, our online community has grown a lot and we would love to have you volunteer and join our online campus team. Just go to sandalschurch.com teams to discover the many ways you can serve no matter where you are in the world. We would love to have you. Also, we want to let you know that if you have friends or family who speak Spanish, we offer Sandals Church in Espanol with full online services all in Spanish. For more information about our online and in-person Spanish services, you can go to sandalschurch.com Spanish. Well, right now we're gonna spend some time in worship, which is a churchy word, but, but describes one of the ways we say thanks to God and thank him for what he's done and how we tell God who he is by singing. So don't be shy. We'll have the words on the screens to help you out. So let's sing and let's worship.
Good. Mm-hmm. 
darkness now has ended in the kingdom of light in the kingdom of light forever under your dominion you're the king of my life the king of my life you reign above it
there's something about the imagery of heaven. This is the song of heaven. It's a simple song of praise. Holy, holy, holy. And there's something that connects in our heart with all of creation as we sing this out. Part of our soul, part of our spirit just comes to life because we can hear a billion angels singing along. And there's nothing like joining with the song of creation. So wherever you're at, we're just going to sing that one more time. Come on, you sing this out. We sing We get to sing as a global church. You may not hear everyone, but God does. Thank you so much for singing. Hey, if you got kids, then we got you. You can help your kids go to kids.sandalschurch.tv for an online service tailored just for them. And if you got teens, then we got you covered in prayer. And we have a Sandals Church youth page on YouTube that they can check out. For many of us, it's been a year since we've been able to truly gather together in a church building and with other followers of Jesus, which means that many of us may have not been able to take communion for a whole year. Well, next Saturday, on the 13th of March, we will be holding a live communion experience right here online on our Facebook page. This will be an opportunity for you and people all over the world to be gathered together here online, but spiritually connected by the Holy Spirit and receive communion together. It is going to be awesome. You are not going to want to miss this. Make sure you mark your calendar for this really special moment of receiving communion together. Well, here with the latest message from our Win in Rome teaching series, here is our own Palm Avenue campus pastor, Pastor Fredo Ramos, or Pastor Fredo Ramos. <laughs> that sounds better. What's good, Sandals Church? I am honored to be with you guys today. And if you are joining us for the first time, we just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you uh, chose our church to be a part of, whether you are at a Sandals Church or you're watching online or you're at home, wherever you are at, we are grateful you are here. And secondly, we are in this brand new series called When in Rome. 
And we're walking through the book of Romans as we try to collectively understand what it looks like to follow Jesus in a culture that doesn't. And listen, I ain't gonna lie to you. We've been dealing with some topics that are, that are pretty heavy. They're not for the faint of heart. Whether you uh, are a Christian or a non-Christian, man, we're dealing with things like cancel culture, a judgment, a love injustice, our identity, uh, our idols, our sexuality, right? There have been a lot of things that we have been talking about and we are only in chapter two. And so I wanna say this, uh, especially for those of you who are watching right now, and maybe you're just feeling kind of down. You feel a bit torn down, whether it be because of the series or whatever else you have going in life. I want you to know that you are not alone. Even as a pastor, I, I feel that way. Even, even stepping into this passage, I'm like, man, this is, this is heavy. But secondly, I want us to consider that maybe it's not a bad thing that we feel torn down. Maybe, just, just maybe God is actually tearing us down inwardly so that he might build us back up into something more beautiful. And I think that's really possible for all of us to experience, especially as we deal with this topic today of hypocrisy from the end of Romans chapter two. Now we live in a world today in which it is incredibly hard for us to trust people. All of what last year brought to us, all of what it brought out of us, I think it's fair to say that there is this kind of cloud of skepticism that has kind of just landed on all of us. And as we try to walk through that cloud, we find it difficult to trust people. This is especially true about the church. It's a fair question. It's a real question to ask, can I trust the church? Especially when so many people have been hurt by the church and the hypocrisy of the church. Can I trust you? Now, let's be honest for a second. You haven't really been hurt necessarily by the church. You've been hurt by a person. You've been wounded by a, a pastor a leader, someone in authority, a boyfriend maybe who claimed to be a Christian, a girlfriend, a spouse. We have been hurt by people. Because of that, it's hard for us to trust. In fact, a recent study was just done that millennials, among millennials and Gen Zers, they are the least trusting people in society today. Only 13% of them see people as trustworthy. Compare that to boomers who can trust up to 60%, right? That's a, that's a startling gap between these two generations. And that's something that we have to deal with. We struggle to trust people. And, and here's the problem. Here's what I think is at the root of that. Whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, all of us at some point say things and then do another. It's a problem that all of us must wrestle with. And Romans chapter two has a lot to say about that problem for all of us and how we can find a way out. And so let's read together from Romans chapter two, and then I'll pray. Paul writes this, now if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law, and if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law. You then, who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? 
For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision benefits you if you observe the law, but if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? I know this is getting weird, but stay with me. A man who is physically uncircumcised, but who keeps the law, will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we acknowledge God that you are here with us. And so by the power of your spirit, would you open us up to receive your word today? Would you awaken our minds, our hearts, and our bodies to be attentive to you and what you want to say and deliver us as we see Jesus? We pray these things in his name. Amen. Now, I became a Christian at the age of 21. As a 21-year-old, I was attending college at the time. In fact, I was three years into my business degree and then all of a sudden, my whole world just flipped upside down. I found Jesus. And really, I should probably say, Jesus found me. Through relationships, uh, through classes, ironically, at a secular university, and through just an internal struggle of what life was about, man, I came into this collision with Jesus, and I was never the same. And uh, even though I was in college, it felt like a lot like I was in middle school, because <laughs> everything felt so fresh. You know, I was, I was different, I was new, I was having all these changes. And I was in a, a big place where just I felt like people didn't know me and I was so different from them. And yet through that, there came this kind of exciting moment where I just, I love to engage in conversation with people. And when you're in college, you might know this, man, there, there are a lot of people who are far, far from God and they look, look like they're far, far from you. But man, they, you can have some of the most exciting kind of moments with them. And I realized that I was beginning to have that uh, those kinds of conversations with them. And what I began to realize as I was talking with people is that maybe I had answers for their questions because I would sit in classes, you know, and I actually switched majors. Uh, even though against the advice of my advisors, I left business, I was one year done with my degree and they're like, you, you are stupid for doing this. I was like, I know, but I'm just, I love philosophy. So let me just do this. And so I switched majors. I'm in the class. I'm engaging with the content and trying to share my faith and figure that out. And I realized that, man, I had answers for a lot of these people's questions, but I didn't have answers for their wounds. Because at the root of a lot of people's rebellion to God is a wound. They've been hurt by someone. They've been hurt by someone in the church, which is why as we read through Romans 2, you can feel Paul's tone as he's talking to Jewish Christians. You can feel the weight of what he's saying because hypocrisy is a serious issue. Hypocrisy both blinds us and damages us. And first of all, hypocrisy keeps us from truly seeing ourselves. That's the way it blinds us. 
As you see there from this passage, Paul is saying, look, you, you call yourself a Jew. You rely on the law. You boast in God. You know his will. I mean, at this point, you can switch out Jew and insert Christian. You call yourself a Christian. You know God's will. You know his word. You teach it to others. You believe you have the embodiment of truth. But do you practice what you preach? That's what he's saying there in verse 21. Having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law, you then who teach another, don't you teach yourself? Now here's what Paul is really building up in the beginning of Romans, is this case that no matter who you are and what you've done, you will not be right with God. No matter how hard you try, because it's easy to judge people who hate God and be like, oh yeah, they're far from God. But even those who are close to his word can still be far from him. You can never do enough is what Paul is saying. More than that, he's also getting at something much more of a problem. You don't live up to your own standards. You see, you might know the truth. You might even love the truth, but you can still not be changed by the truth. And I think a lot of what we are experiencing today are people who know Christianity, but they don't know Christ. They love Christian truth. They love being right. And they don't know Jesus. And it's reflecting in their actions. They don't practice what they preach. Now, for some of you, this has become an excuse to leave. Right? But yeah, there's hypocrisy in the church. Of course there is. It's always been there. I'm out. But consider for a moment, though, too, that hypocrisy is not just in the church. It's everywhere. Even you can't live up to your own standards. Years ago, someone gave this really well-known illustration. They said, imagine that when you were born, a tape recorder was placed on top of you. And when you stand before God, what's going to play is just your own tape. And every moment that you told somebody else what they should do, every moment that you encouraged someone or even what you said you were going to do, he's going to show you all those places where you couldn't do that yourself. So even if you are in a place right now where you are rejecting kind of Christian standards and traditional values to follow your own way, you won't live up to those own standards. We all fail to live up to those standards, even our own. And even today with, with such a popular idea that, man, I just, I want to be true to myself I want to be true to me. I want to live that out as, as long as I don't harm anyone. That's a powerful gospel today that a lot of people believe. And let me just offer this to you. There will be a point where you will not be true to yourself because you're kind of confused by who you are at times. And in those moments of you not being true to yourself, you will eventually harm somebody. None of us live up to our own standards, whether they're religious ones or non-religious ones. And so consider the words of Jesus just for a second when he's also addressing this issue. There in your notes from Matthew 23. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. In other words, they're teachers. They explain the law. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. This is how Jesus views the religious leaders of the day. Listen to their words, don't follow their actions. 
And see, what I find so telling about this is that Jesus at the same time can be critical of religion, but he never says that we can live without it. Here's what we need to get. Why you should still trust Jesus and the Bible is because they themselves call out hypocrisy. And so even though for some the church can be in the way of God, the church will never cease to be the way to God. We still need the church, the real church. So the answer to your, your wounding and the hypocrisy that you see, whether it be in yourself, because we need other people to point it out, will not be to leave, but to find the real one. Jesus offers us a better way. And this is why I think he is just so compelling. There was no one like Jesus. This was the man of integrity. He's the only person who lived up to everything he said. What he said, he always did. And so listen, we, we should be, as Christians, quick to apologize for the ways that we fail to live up to Jesus' standards. But what we cannot apologize for is our faith in Jesus. We cannot apologize for our love of Jesus and the fact that he is Lord of our life and that his words, the scriptures are in fact God's words. We cannot apologize for that. Why? Because Jesus for us is not just some kind of conservative religious founder, nor is he kind of like this, this social activist revolutionary who's here to just to flip everything over. He's not even just a cool teacher that offers principles like do to others what you want to be done to yourself. Jesus is Lord over the entire universe. He's the Lord over the created world. The New Testament says that he is the resurrected king whom God raised from the dead and seated him over all of life. Jesus rules over all of life and all of life points back to him. And one day he is coming in the flesh to judge, to make right all that is wrong in the world, the good and the bad. And in judging, he will completely do away with sin and evil and suffering so that we might live life the way it was always meant to be lived. We cannot apologize for that Jesus. And that is why we here at Sandals Church work so hard to pursue an authentic and real relationship with him. That is what we are after. This is who we are, church. We ought to apologize when we fail to live up to his standards, but we cannot apologize for our love for him. He is the Lord. Now, if that's the case, we need to be honest, though, about how our hypocrisy not just keeps us from truly seeing ourselves, but our hypocrisy also keeps us from truly seeing others. Notice what Paul says there in Romans 2.24 as he continues this dialogue. He says, for as it is written, the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. It's because of you. Think about that for a second. People mock God. They don't believe in God, not just because of their own actions, but because of yours and mine. In other words, hypocrisy has consequences on the watching world. My hypocrisy hurts people. Your hypocrisy hurts people. And here is how I think it kind of practically happens. You, you and I, 
have a way of taking what we believe is right and, and living that out and then doing so in a way where we look down on other people who don't do the same thing. And in kind of a way, we weaponize our goodness against other people. The things that we love that are true, right? That Paul kind of lists here for the Jews, man. All of these things are really good that you believe in and that you uh, teach, but you look down on those who are different than you. Imagine that. You look down on other people who don't do the same things you do. Is there, is there a way that you have kind of weaponized your own goodness? The things that you believe are so right, they've actually created kind of pride instead of love for other people. When you think about love, that's, that's ultimately what it is, right? The, the, the law is meant for us to obey in such a way that not only our lives go well, but the lives of other people go well. But in, in our pride and foolishness and sin, we weaponize our goodness against other people. We look down on them. And in a way, this keeps us from seeing them for who they are. And rather than allowing the, the love of God in Jesus to help us to see them, we simply dismiss them. We don't see them. And I wonder how, how many of us today in our own sense of being good, have lost the ability just to see people. What I mean by that is this. What do you observe when you look at people who don't look like you, who don't act like you, who don't talk like you, who don't believe what you believe, who don't behave the way that you behave? They don't vote like you. They don't protest like you. Do you see an enemy or do you see someone who is made in the image of God? and is loved and dignified by him. There's this amazing story from the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is at a dinner party, which is what he normally goes to often. And at this party, a woman walks in and it kind of just throws everything into disarray. Apparently she's a scandalous woman. And of course, the host of the party, the one who's throwing the party is a religious person. Imagine that, a religious leader, a well-respected person is throwing this party, this dinner party that Jesus is at. And as this woman walks in, it creates problems. And as Jesus is watching this unfold, he turns to the woman, look there in your notes, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, notice this question, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she stopped kissing me, or she hasn't stopped kissing me, kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Simon Peter asked, do you see this woman. You see, the, the point I think of what Jesus is getting at is that the, at the end of the day, you and I treat people based on how we think God has treated us. And so if we are under the impression that God has been immensely kind and gracious and patient with us, that will eventually leak out of our lives to those around us. Like it did with this woman. She knows who she is. She knows that she has not lived up to religious standards or her own standards. And yet Jesus sees her still. 
Simon, on the other hand, in his own kind of religious goodness, he cannot see her. His own hypocrisy has blinded him from seeing her for who she is. This, this is a beautiful picture of what you and I need. Even though Simon doesn't see this woman, Jesus sees her. And this will be our way out of hypocrisy. We need the God who sees us and gives us a new heart. Look there at Romans 2.24. As Paul continues this conversation, he says, For as it is written, I'm sorry, excuse me, on the contrary, from uh, Romans 2.29, On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit and not the letter. In other words, a person is a Jew, notice, take note, one inwardly. A person is a Jew inwardly. What does he mean by that? What Paul is getting at is that there is a way that God sees us that is beyond kind of the, the external presentation of who we are. He sees us for who we actually are. There is an identity that is kind of hidden within us, and God sees that. All the best and all the worst, God fully sees who that is, and he loves who he sees. And that is what you and I need. Because the, the remedy for our hypocrisy is, is really integrity. It's understanding that who we are is who we are in secret. That's the real you, the person in the private life, you in your private life, you when no one else is around, you with your, your own thoughts, your feelings, your fears, your hopes, your dreams. That is the real you. And what Paul is saying here is that God sees that version of who you are and he loves you. He loves you. Just, just take a second right now in this moment to realize that you are seen by God. You see, God, God cannot bless a fake version of you or a fake version of me. And so if we want to be fully loved, which I think that is true of all of us, then we need to be fully known. And listen, when we talk about God seeing everything, it's not like as if, you know, for me growing up in a private school, uh, when everyone was on their way to prom, we'd get this message, God is watching you, so be careful what you're going to do. That's not what we're getting at when we talk about this idea that God sees you. Because his seeing of us is not something that leads to condemnation, but leads to transformation. It leads to life, not death. And you are seen by God, which is why you have nothing to hide. The Bible uses this word of integrity, which really means faithful. It means you are the same person in every scenario. It doesn't matter. And you are free to be that same person. Why? Because you are fully seen by God. The worst of you is already known by him. So it no longer has to hold you back. It no longer has to keep you in a place where you tried to do something that you said you wouldn't do in order to gain acceptance or approval. You are fully seen by God. The second thing, though, that we need is not just the God who sees us, but the God who gives us a new heart. As Paul said there in the same verse there from 29, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit and not the law. Now, now what is he getting at? Because earlier, you know, he talked about uh, there in verse 25, you know, a Jew is circumcised, but if you keep the whole law, then you're fine. But if you don't, 
then you're uncircumcised. In the same way that if someone is uncircumcised, but they keep the whole law, then it's as if they're circumcised, right? It's a weird discussion. I'm not going to lie to you. Especially for those of you who are already kind of curious about Christianity, the whole topic of circumcision might feel a bit strange. And I totally get that. But here's what he's trying to explain to these people. For their entire history, this act of circumcision has been a ceremonial sign. It's something they do to their bodies as a way to demonstrate and signify something internally that's happened to them. And the first thing, circumcision was a sign that you were confirmed and known by God. But it also was a sign that not just confirmed you, but it was a caution that if you were to break away from this relationship with God, there would be consequences. You know, because circumcision is uh, it's a mutilation of the flesh. It, it's, it's, it's messy, it's gross, it's ugly, and we'll, we'll just kind of leave it at that, right? But it kind of signifies that, man, there can be punishment for your actions, for my actions. And that's what he's getting at here in this explanation, that there is a different kind of circumcision that we need. But notice there from Colossians 2, it's there in your notes, because this picks up again. You were also, gets a little bit more strangers, circumcised in him with a circumcision, notice now, not done with hands by putting off of the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. For when you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. In other words, what he's getting at is that you need not just this kind of physical act, but you need a spiritual one. In other words, this ceremonial act that the Jews had been practicing for years is something that points to something greater than itself. And he even says that in Deuteronomy, you find places where God says, you need to circumcise your hearts. In other words, you need to be set apart for me. And Paul takes that and connects it to Jesus. And notice where he uses Words like buried and raised with him through faith. What is Paul getting at? Well, he's talking about the cross. He's talking about where Jesus went to give up his life for you and I. So he's saying to you and to me that circumcision on the heart happens when we place our faith in him. And a new heart is given to us. New heart. Something internally is done not by the letter of the law, but by the Spirit. It's a supernatural act in which by faith we turn to him and ask for him to change us, to save us, to make us something new and different. And in that experience and exchange of seeing the God who actually sees you, you're transformed. You're made into something different, into something new. Now, if you're wondering what this looks like, what does this look like in our lives? How do I know that I, that I, that I have a new heart or, or that, that I have experienced the God who sees me for all that I am? Well, a few things begin to happen. Number one, you begin to practice and embrace repentance over rage. Repentance over rage. You see, a lot of people think repentance is the way into the Christian faith, and that is true, but it is also, repentance is also the way that we live as a Christian. Confession is just a way for you and I to acknowledge what is. We are sinners before God, and we need him. We need his grace. We need his mercy. We need his forgiveness. And you see, in this current world of where we just don't trust other people, 
what it's building up inside of us is not just a kind of skepticism, but a kind of rage, a kind of anger. We're just mad. People don't know us. We don't know them. And you, you see just kind of an anger today in the world. And the way of Jesus is the way of repentance. It's not to say that there isn't a moment to be mad, a moment to have anger, but that in our humility, because of the God who sees us and knows us, we can just simply confess, receive his grace, and ask that he would make us something new. The second thing, though, is that he calls us to also be people who can listen. Practice listening over legalism. There is this amazing uh, phrase that Paul uses to end this whole passage where he says, that person's praise, describing the one who's had an inward change, that person's praise is not from people, but from God. Not from people, but from God. In other words, the good news of Christianity is that there is a God who sees you and praises you because of who you are in Christ. You are fully accepted in him completely accepted. And this actually frees you up so that in your relationships, you no longer have to, to act and to move and to speak in a way to try to earn something from them because what you need, you already have in God. And so you're actually free to listen, free to hear their story. And, and this is the way that I think embodies the fact that we have in fact been changed, that we in fact have a new heart, that we have encountered the God who sees us fully because we can listen to other people. Rather than using what we think is so right against them, we can begin the art and practice of just listening. It's a way to love them. It's a way to be kind to them. And man, I want to encourage some of you guys today. Some, some of you, your whole life, I want you to know that God has been listening to you. God has been hearing you. He knows you and he sees you. And, and even if there, there was a wound there, Jesus calls you to bring that to him. To bring that to him. For those of you who are maybe on the other end, where you have just kind of just felt really good about yourself, I want you to consider for just a second that your own goodness has kept you from the goodness of God. And it's created a kind of just anger in yourself because you expect more of God. At the end of the day, you kind of think God should have given you a better life because of the way that you have been obedient to him. And that just isn't the case. Your call is not just to embrace a God who really knows you, but to choose repentance, to recognize that you can never do enough, but that is okay because Jesus has already done enough for you. And so as we close, man, the invitation for all of us in this moment is to embrace this God who sees us, who sees us for who we actually are and desires to continue to transform our hearts so that we might be different people. Because on the cross, I want you to listen to me now, when Jesus went there, when Jesus was willing to give up his life, he was dying on the cross, taking a punishment that he did not deserve. Consider it like this. Jesus is the only one who lived a life of integrity, and yet on the cross, he's being treated as the biggest hypocrite. He's being treated as if he said things, yet did something completely else. He's taking your punishment and my punishment. 
so that in exchange, we the hypocrites can be freed, so that we can be set free, so that we can live a life of integrity. He's taking that punishment for us. And he calls us all right now to see that, to embrace it, and to find ourselves in him. Let's do that now together as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we thank you that you are the God who sees us. You see us. And so would you bring us to a place, God, where we can confess our hypocrisy and acknowledge our need to change? God, would you bring some of us to a place where we realize that you have been listening to us our whole lives. We cannot escape you and your love. Draw us both in. Draw us in so that we might be transformed to be new people and faithfully follow Jesus in this world today. We pray all of these things in his name. Amen. God sees you. And he doesn't want you to navigate this life alone. I know time and time again in my life, I have seen that God has placed people around me who want to walk with me through times of disappointment and hurt. I want you to know that the people right around you, right there at the St. Louis Church Anywhere location, are people that God has placed in your life. I hope you don't watch the message, eat some food, and, and just go about your day when you leave your Anywhere gathering. Make sure that you are living in community and going through the messages and, and, and going through the group discussion questions together. This is how life is shared in community in a living room around a table and tackling the word of God with some tough questions, sharing life together. If you need to talk with someone, you can do that right there at your Sandals Church Anywhere location, or you can always reach out for prayer or help by going to sandalschurch.com next. You know, we are continuing to launch Sandals Church Anywhere is all over. We are able to resource you and help this vision of being real find its way all over the globe because of people like you. Thank you for giving to this amazing worldwide ministry. If you have not yet begun to give, you can do that by going to give.sc. As you go today, this is my hope for you. And this is my message. That you know that you are part of Sandals Church. You are Sandals Church. And the people that you are around is your community. And your community is there to help you not just watch this together, but help you go through life together. Because you can go somewhere fast alone, but you can go further together with that community right there. I wanna let you know that I love you, Sandals Church loves you, and I hope you come right back there to that Sandals Church Anywhere location next week. We'll see you next time.